How many of you read chapter 3 this week? How many of you blew it off and watched Joseph in the Amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat? <laughs> Figured you got it all done. Little known fact, I did try out for the part of that, but the Mormons always win. Such a great story today. Joseph and his amazing Technicolor Dreamcoat. Such an amazing story of rags to riches. It's the ultimate movie plot, except at the end, when Chuck Norris gets the chance to blow everybody away who's been bad to him early in his life, he forgives them, he accepts them all back into his family. So it's more like a chick flick than a guy movie. But there is a great story here today, I promise you. One of the best stories in the Bible. It's a story about a whole lot of disappointment. So if you walked in here today and you had some disappointment in your life, you're going to really love this. It's a lot like that for Joseph today. Every time he thinks something's going good, it goes bad again. It's the story of disappointment. So we're doing this thing called the story, in case you're just walking in, actually run out of books again. I don't know how many we've sold. We'll get some more back in, uh, or you can get them online or whatever. We'll get some more in next week. Doing this story because we're looking for hope as we go through the story, okay? What we're trying to do is give you the big picture so you can put the puzzle together. This is not the whole Bible. It's parts of the Bible put together in the story form, in a narrative form, in order so that you can kind of get through and see what the big puzzle picture is all going to look like. And we've been looking for hope as we've gone through this story. The first week we, uh, we found out that in the beginning God created and it was very good. It was really good until man screwed it up and sinned. And then, and then sin came into the world and it was really bad. But in that passage in Genesis 3, we find a veiled reference to Jesus who's going to come one day, the offspring of Eve, and he's going to crush Satan's head. So we see that there is going to be hope. But things spiral down and spiral down until it gets to the point where God is grieved that he has made mankind in the first place. And he's going to wipe out all of humanity, except there's this one good guy. And we find this story that there's always hope when there was one good man that could save us. And it was Noah back at that point. There was one righteous man, and God saved the human race. And then we found out that a thousand years later, God said, you know what, it's time for me to build my nation. I'm going to start my nation. But I'm not going to use the likely choices. I'm going to use the unlikely choices, the elderly, infertile couple that, that is going to start my nation. And I'm going to make them wait, and that's the way it's going to be. But I just want to show you that there's always hope in your life. When you think you're done, when you think there's despair, there's always hope. That's what we've been doing. And the reason that we've been studying this is because of what Paul said in Romans 15. And there's a lot of other passages that say this. But Paul said, everything that was written in the past, which is where we are right now, was written to teach us so that through endurance taught in the scriptures, we're going to learn a lot about endurance from Joseph today, and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Okay? It's about finding endurance for the problems that are going to happen in your life and about encouragement that's going to happen in your life. Because what we're trying to figure out is how to live this book, not learn this book, but we're going to live this book. So we're studying Joseph today who came from one of the most dysfunctional families you'll ever hear of in your life. If you came from a dysfunctional family, a broken up family one way or another, you're going to really be able to relate to Joseph. Okay? Reminds me of the story of the census taker who went to a backwoods home one day and ran into this little like 13 year old girl at this backwoods home and he, and uh, she, I just, I picture Ruby, the little girl from Christmas vacation in my mind. So, so picture Ruby and he comes up to little Ruby and he says, hey, could I talk to you? dad and she says my dad's not here he's in jail been in jail for three years well how could i talk to your mom my mom's not here she's off with the moonshiners well do you have an older sister oh yeah but she's in a hospital for crazy people he said well do you have an older brother she said yeah he's at harvard <laughs> census taker said harvard what's he studying at harvard he ain't studying nothing she said they're studying him 
That's what we're going to do today, okay? If your family's all messed up, you're going to relate to this. We're going to study Joseph, and in spite of his dysfunction, he is one of the least flawed people in the whole Bible. There's not a whole lot. There's not a lot of people. I could compare myself to David. I can compare myself to, to people, to Peter, to people in the Bible, because most people in the Bible, you can compare yourself to because, you know, they messed up. There's really nothing that Joseph messes up in his life. When he's hated, he doesn't retaliate. When he's tempted, he doesn't give in. When he when his life falls apart, he doesn't fall apart. And when he's blessed later on in life, he doesn't strut. He uses it to serve other people. Let me give you the background of the story because it's, it's really important and it's really funny. Um, Jacob is his father. Okay, remember Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Father, son, grandson. This is the, these are the, the, the fathers, the forefathers. God says, I'm going to bless Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is how it's going to go. 217 times in the Old Testament. I'm the God of these three guys. But if you were here last week, you heard me say that Jacob's name means deceiver. And it's funny that they named him that because that's what he grew up to do. He grew up and he deceived his older brother, he deceived his father and his older brother out of the birthright and stole the inheritance. And he knew his brother was going to kill him at that point, so he ran off to another country where he had some relative there named Laban, and he started working for Laban. And Laban was like, man, I really like you, what can I do for you? It just so happened that Laban has two girls, okay, two daughters. Leah, the Bible just says Leah has had weak eyes, this is all it says, we don't know what this means, Leah had weak eyes and Rachel was lovely in form and beautiful. Okay? I mean, I, I don't know if Leah was, had poor vision, if she was cross-eyed, if she had a unibrow. I don't, I don't know what the deal was. But the Bible writers are making it pretty plain to us that, that Leah was like the older sister and her younger sister was the mom shell. And Jacob said, you know what? I love Rachel. Could I work seven years for you for Rachel? And Laban said, sure, that'd be great. And this story is just ridiculous. Jacob served, Genesis 29, 20. Jacob served seven years to get Rachel, but they seemed like only a few days to him because of his love for her. Come on. I've been married for 29 years. I'm going to tell you right now, it feels like at least a couple of months, okay? I'm just going to be honest. You feel me? True love. That's what that was. So the time comes for the wedding, and you've got to remember that weddings back in that day, the women wore veils, and it was at night, and there's no electricity, and there was a lot of wine. And Laban pulls a fast one on Jacob and says, here's Leah on his wedding night. And, and he doesn't, I guess he's not concentrating on the eyes at that point, and he just doesn't even get it. And he wakes up the next morning and goes, man, that is one crazy hangover. How come you're here? And Laban says, oh, you don't understand, in our custom, you can't marry the younger sister until the older sister is married off, so you're getting a two-for-one deal. However, you're going to have to work seven more years for Rachel, which she said, well, no big deal, because it's only like a couple of days, right? Okay, so let's just, let's just re review this, okay? Two wives, just in case you've ever thought about this, two wives, bad idea. Nobody really has to, you know, help you with that one, right? Two sister wives... Really bad idea. Two sister wives who are both infertile, priceless. Neither one of them can have babies, okay? So Jacob obviously only loved one of these. This is not Jacob's fault. He only loves one of these women. And poor Leah, she's kind of stuck in the middle of the whole thing. And neither one of them can have babies. And so both of them give their maidservants to Jacob so that he can have babies with them. 
So this poor guy, and then Leah starts to have babies after that. So this poor guy, who, who didn't really ask for it, all of a sudden has four wives. He ends up with ten sons and one daughter and still no children by his only true love, Rachel. You know, when mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. How about when all four mamas ain't happy? This is the problem with polygamy, just in case you're wondering. This is not a blended family, friends. This is a food processor family, okay? And it was to this mess that Joseph, God, finally miraculously opens Rachel's womb, and Rachel has a son, and his name is Joseph. So that's what you get. You get that from now, right? You understand how this whole story thing happened, and this is why Joseph was the favored son. It makes a lot more sense now. Now, Israel, God changed his name because he didn't want, you know, one of the guys to be named deceiver anymore. Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he'd been born to him in his old age, and he made an ornate robe for him. There's, enter the Technicolor Dreamcoat, okay? And you've heard this story before, I'm sure, but now you understand the ramifications. It sounds like a Jimmy Kimmel video joke, doesn't it? Uh, more than it does the truth. But this is like, okay, give your kids, give your kids one kid an iPad for Christmas and give the rest of them Chia Pets and make a video and send it in to me. That's what this sounds like, except it's really what happened. And you add to that the fact that these guys, that Joseph has these dreams where his brothers bow down to him, and, and he's just not a real popular dude around the family. So one day they're all out tending sheep, and the brothers are like, let's get rid of this punk. We're tired of it. Let's kill him. And one of the other brothers says, you know what, let's, we don't have to kill him. Look, here comes some Midianites, some slave traders. Let's sell Joseph to them, and he'll be gone, and we'll lie to Dad and tell him that Joseph got eaten by a wild animal, and everything will go fine. And that's what they did. So he, he favored Joseph, 17 years old, lap of luxury, dad loves him more than anybody else, he's having these dreams of power and, and how he's going to rule the world, and all of a sudden he's in the back of a, of a cart heading off to Egypt as a slave. I, I, I want to start there because I don't think the Bible really does justice to the emotion that had to have been going on. And, and, and I, I bring that up to you because we talk about it kind of this way, okay? What happens to us is we, we have life happen along the way and we kind of get dealt, right? We get dealt a hand of cards. And some people get dealt good cards and some people get dealt bad cards. And up to this point, Joseph has had all you know, all royalty in his, in his life. He's had all kings and queens and a bunch of aces and everything's gone really good. And all of a sudden he ends up with a five of hearts and he's like, wow, what, what is going on here? And as you're going to see throughout the rest of his life, he's going to get dealt a whole bunch of other lousy, he's going to have a really lousy hand for the next 13 years of his life. He doesn't know this now, but that's what's going on. I just can't imagine what the, what, what's going on in the heart of this young kid who's had everything going for him, who gets sold into slavery by his family, by his brothers. At first they were going to kill him. Now they sold him into slavery. I didn't do anything to deserve this. Meanwhile, top of page 31, the Midianites sold Joseph in Egypt to Potiphar, one of Pharaoh's officials, captain of the guard. Okay, Captain of the guard's not a good translation. Chief executioner is who Potiphar was. Okay? If you get sold into slavery, the last guy you want to buy you is the guy with the big black hood, right? Dr. Death. That's not who you want to be a slave for, but that's what happens. So he gets sold into slavery to the worst possible person that he could get sold to. It's just going down and down and down. His cards just keep getting worse and worse. But Joseph knows 
that he's got to make the best of it, and he blooms where he's planted, and he learns the language, and he learns the culture, and he works really hard, even as a slave. And as we go throughout the story, what you're going to see over and over again is one little phrase that's going to throw you as we talk about it. It's this phrase, the Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39, verse 2. The Lord was with Joseph. Hang on, where's he at? He's a slave. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered, and he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. So here's our question for the day. I've said all along that if you believe the first verse of the Bible, you should be able to believe the rest. But let's take it a step farther. If you believe the first verse of the Bible, in the beginning God, and you believe that God is with you, how should that make you live? Joseph is a perfect example of this. If I believe that there is a God and he created, and I believe that God is living in me, how should that make me live? Even if I don't understand why I'm holding a five of diamonds right now, how should it make me live? What I'd like for you to do today is to take kind of a 30,000 foot view back down at your life. Just have a little out of body experience for the next several minutes. And I want you to look down at your life and pretend that you're an observer of your life and ask yourself this same question, okay? If I'm looking down and I'm counseling this person down here who's sitting in my seat with their dysfunctions and their baggage and their bad health and their whatever bad family and whatever the bad situations that have gone on in their life and their good opportunities and their wealth and their gifts and the things that have gone good in their life, how should that hypothetical person sitting down there, if they really know God is with them and they really believe that God is the creator of it all, how should they live? What would your life look like tomorrow if you got up and the first thing you did is you said, you know what, today I believe that in the beginning God, and I believe that God is with me, and so I'm going to learn and live and walk that way. How would that change everything for you? Because it could really be a game changer for you. When his master saw that the Lord was with him, and the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in the eyes, in his eyes, and became his attendant. He moved up as a slave. And Potiphar put him in charge of his household, and he entrusted to his care everything that he had owned. Okay? So right now you're relieved, right? You're relieved. You're like, oh, this is good. The Lord is with Joseph, and he becomes this head slave guy. I mean, he's still a slave, but his life is pretty good. And right now, if we stop the story right now, you would go, oh, that's a great story. God, God was wonderful to him. What a bummer he got sold into slavery. But isn't that great? And if you stop to talk to Joseph right now, Joseph would go, whew, okay, it's all right. I don't know why I'm in Egypt, but I'm, I'm good. Everything's okay right now. The funny part is, God has something a million times better and more important for Joseph. Only we know that. He doesn't know this right now. And the problem is, his cards are going to get worse before they get better. And I bet if God came to you and me right now and said, hey, you know, wherever you are right now, I've got something way, way better for you, but it's going to get worse before it gets better, most of us would go, no, no thanks. I'm not so sure that Joseph wouldn't have done the same thing. But it doesn't matter because he's always going to live as if he believes in the beginning God and God was with him. That's the only thing that matters. That's faith. Enter Lady Potiphar. And things take a desperate household's turn for the worse. 
We can speculate that Mrs. Potiphar would have probably been, uh, you know, a bit of a trophy wife because of Potiphar's position in Pharaoh's cabinet. And, uh, you know, the low view of marriage, Potiphar could just trade up to the next wife whenever he wanted to. Nobody cared about that. And somehow she becomes infatuated with Joseph because the Bible tells us he was well built and handsome like Donnie Osmond. Okay. So Bob, Bob, that she, she becomes infatuated with him at some point. And, and what it says in your Bible is that she says, come to bed with me. Okay. If you could translate Hebrew, you would understand that they opted for the PG version of what she says to Joseph, okay? This is more than, hey, I just met you, call me maybe, all right? She is coming on to this dude hot and heavy. And here's how Joseph responds to her in verse 9. It's so amazing. He says, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And every red-blooded American guy in this room right now just went, wow, I mean, think about it. Here's a guy whose life has been completely screwed over, who probably feels like God has left him. Even though it says God is with him, he doesn't feel God. He's been screwed over in life. He came from a dysfunctional family. He's been sold into slavery. And he's at this point, he's in this other culture where who knows if he's ever going to meet a girl or even have an opportunity to marry because he's still a slave. And this beautiful woman comes to him and says, hey, come on, let's go. What reason does he really have to not do this. I'll tell you what reason. It's in the beginning God. And God is with me. And God has a way he wants me to live. I love his answer. He doesn't say, no, I'm not going to do this to your husband because I respect him. He doesn't say, no, I'm saving myself for marriage someday. He says, how could I do this thing and sin against God? And Genesis 39.10 tells us that even though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. You, you want to get away from temptation? Get away from temptation, you know? A uh, country preacher said, if you don't plan on going in the house, stay off the porch. You could tweet that if you want to. If you don't plan on going in the house, stay off the porch. Stay away from there. That's what, that's what Joseph did. It didn't matter how far Joseph was from his homeland. It didn't matter how completely amoral the culture was. It would have been probably acceptable at that point. It didn't matter if Joseph's life was a ripoff. He was going to stay away from this woman and do the things that he needed to do. So listen, I know this, I got to talk to you singles. I, I know a bunch of you, and I know, I, I was talking to one of my buddies this week who's a single, and I get this, okay? I get where you're coming from. I can't imagine what it would be like to be single in this age. I've been married for almost 29 years. I haven't had to deal with that. I can't imagine your temptations. I can't imagine what's going on. But what I know is, the longer it takes, if you feel like you really want to have a spouse, and the longer it takes for God to make that happen, the easier it is for you to start lowering your standards, at some point, you're like, okay, well, God, if you haven't done this for me by now, I guess I'm just going to take matters into my own hand. And I'm going to go after this, this person that I know is not the one that I ought to, or I'm going to sleep with these people because I'm tired of being by myself, or whatever. I'm going to lower my standards. And Kyle Ottoman was talking to a friend about sexual temptation, a single friend. He said, hey, I read a survey the other day about uh, Christian singles, and they said, what's your biggest temptation? And he said 90% of them said it was sexual temptation. And the guy looked at him with a straight face. He said, I know what the other 10% struggle with, lying. It's got to be very, very difficult. It's got to be incredibly difficult. And the tendency is to say, okay, God, if you're not going to come through with me, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to do what's best for me because evidently you just can't get this. You can't figure this out for me. 
But let me tell you something, singles. You think that's just true for you, and it's not. Because there are married people in this room right now that would tell you that the only thing worse than being disappointed and single is being disappointed and married. The only thing that's worse than being alone is wishing that you were. And I know I'm making some of you uncomfortable right now, but that's the honest truth. Little Big Town's got a song on their new album that just kills me. It's On Your Side of the Bed, it's what it's called. It just says, how did you get so far away? All we have left are the memories of the love we made. Are you sleeping with your own regret on your side of the bed? Are people in marriages in here? And I could tell you there have been times in my life where the wife is thinking, you know what, I don't know when the last time I felt loved or honored or listened to was. And that's the time when it becomes easy to start flirting with that guy at the office because it feels good to get some attention. That's the time when it's easy to log on to Facebook and check out what your old boyfriend from high school is doing. Happens over and over and over again. Or there's a husband married to a wife who thinks that intimacy is a chore kind of right between washing the dishes and doing the laundry and he doesn't feel honored, doesn't feel honored or respected. So he logs onto the website because he's got needs over and over again. In our moments of disappointment, we feel justified in our disobedience. It's really easy for that to happen. That's from the evil one. Joseph doesn't do that. Let me ask you something, married, single people, single, single people, whoever you are. How should you live? How should a person like you live if you believe that in the beginning God and God is with you? So one day Potiphar's wife comes to Joseph one more time. He happens to be within her grasp. She reaches out to grab him, grabs a hold of his coat, and he wriggles out of the coat and runs away. And hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. So she gets mad, cries rape, and Potiphar shows up. Potiphar throws Joseph into prison. Interesting. Potiphar is the chief executioner. Okay, Potiphar is Judge Dredd. He, he doesn't need a jury. He doesn't need a, a judge. He could kill anybody he wants to. He kills people for a living. He's darn good at killing people. Why doesn't Potiphar kill Joseph? Probably because he knows his wife. And he knows Joseph. But he has to save face. And he throws Joseph into prison. And he throws Joseph into prison. And Joseph spends ten years in prison. Ten more years. And you're like, wait a minute, PT. You told me the Bible said the Lord was with Joseph. How does this happen? Listen, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord is with Joseph. This is a different story than the last two weeks. The last two weeks we've talked about Abraham and Sarah who messed up and brought Hagar into their relationship and started a whole big problem. We talked about Adam and Eve who sinned and started all of our problems for us. Joseph did not do anything to deserve this. All Joseph did was obey God and not sleep with a beautiful woman who wanted to have sex with him. He ought to get a medal, not prison, especially if the Lord is with him. But even though he doesn't understand the situation that's going on in his life right now, what does he do in prison? Did he whine? Does he complain? Does he try to break out? I'll tell you what he did. He did exactly what anybody would do if they believed in the beginning God and God is with me. That's exactly what he did. Genesis 39, verse 20. While Joseph was there in prison, listen to this again. The Lord was with him. 
At some point, don't you think Joseph is like, excuse me, could I pick the places you're with me? Because thanks for being with me in slavery and thanks for being with me in prison, but, you know, I'd like Maui next time for crying out loud. God was with him. The Lord was with him and showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. And as we go throughout this story, there's even more frustration. There's this cupbearer that Joseph interprets a dream for. And he says, hey, when you get out, tell Pharaoh about me. And he goes, yeah, you bet I will. And he gets out and two more years go by because there's always this waiting period. We talked about it last week. There's just this waiting, 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 waiting period. So finally, uh, Pharaoh has a dream and nobody knows what to do. And the cupbearer goes, oh, I forgot. There's this dude in prison. I love this verse right here. So Pharaoh, 41.14, it's at the bottom of page 32. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. <laughs> wasn't quick to Joseph. He's been waiting two more years on top of the ten years before that. It wasn't quick at all. It was a waiting process like it always is. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. Okay? So this is Pharaoh, ruler of the known world. He says, hey, I got a dream. Can you interpret it? Your answer should be yes. Right? But how would a person answer this question if they really believed in the beginning God and God was with them? Joseph said, I can't do it. But God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. At which point everybody in the room went, No! Joseph, you've been, you've been screwed over completely. You've been in slavery. You've been in prison. You finally get an opportunity to do something. And you bring up God to a guy who thinks he is God? Are you crazy? This doesn't make any sense. Is that how you would handle it? It's not how I would handle it, but it's how somebody would handle it if they believed in the beginning God and God was with them. So he did. So Pharaoh tells him to dream. Seven fat cows eaten by seven skinny cows, nothing to do with ice cream, <laughs> who still remain thin. Seven big ears of corn, or big ears of, of grain eaten by seven small ears of grain, and they still remain thin. And Joseph said, oh, that's a piece of cake. And really, when I look back on it, now that I know what the interpretation was, it does seem kind of easy. Joseph's like, no, God has given me the answer. I don't know this, but God has given me the answer. The answer is, there's going to be seven good years, and you need to store up your grain, because there's going to be seven years of famine after that. And Pharaoh said, wow, that, he said, and... Pharaoh took a look. Now let Pharaoh look for a discerning. He went on and gave him advice. He said, and now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh appointed commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest of Egypt during the seven years. And they should collect all the food under the good years. And they're coming up and store the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. Again, Joseph just gives him advice. Okay. He just gives him advice. Did Pharaoh ask for advice? No. Did Pharaoh have other economists? Yes. Joseph didn't care. He said, you know what? If the dream interpretation came from God, then the plan probably is from God too. And you know why Pharaoh listened and didn't just throw a spear through him right at that very moment when he spoke up and tried to tell Pharaoh how to rule his world? Because Pharaoh saw something in Joseph that he had never seen before. Same thing that Potiphar saw in Joseph that he'd never seen before. Same thing the prison warden saw in Joseph. The same thing that the baker and the cupbearer saw in Joseph. 
that they had never seen before. A security, a fearlessness that can only come when somebody believes in the beginning God and God is with them. In less than a half an hour, Pharaoh could see it. And this plan seemed good to Pharaoh. I'm in the middle, page 33, and his officials. So Pharaoh asked, can we find anyone like this man? One in whom is the Spirit of God. What a great question. Who, who, in whom is what? The Spirit of God. Let me ask you something. Doesn't everybody have the Spirit of God? Everybody who follows God, doesn't everybody have the Spirit of God? Yeah, we do. You have the Spirit of God if you're a believer. I have the Spirit of God living inside of me in a believer. Why is it that more people don't notice the Spirit of God living in us? It's not because Joseph had more Spirit of God than you do, or I do. It's because he acted like the Spirit of God was upon him. That's when you notice it. That's when you see what's different in somebody's life, is when they act like the Spirit of God is is upon them. I have the Spirit, you have the Spirit, we all have the Spirit. This is great. But until you start acting like it, nobody's going to see it. And Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has made this known to you, there is no one as discerning and wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all the people are to, to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. That's a rags to riches story. He went from being in prison for a rape sentence to vice president of the world the next day. The crowd is on his feet here. It's a Cinderella story. (laughs) Tears in his eyes, I guess, as he lines up that pot. It's unbelievable. It's unbelievable. So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. This story looks insane from man's eyes, but look at it from God's eyes. What has God been doing in Joseph's life through the last 13 years of all this crud that's been going on in his life, these bad cards that he's been dealt? God has been testing him and examining whether or not he is going to be faithful enough to do this huge job that is getting ready to happen. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. You see that? Many times it says the Lord was with Joseph. However, we need to remember one very important thing. Joseph was with the Lord. That's the difference, okay? Most of us would have jumped ship on God at some point along the way. We would have said, you know what, I don't get all this, but Joseph was faithful, 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 faithful all the way through. He was faithful in his relationships. He was faithful with everything that he did. And I want to tell you the same thing. When you're faithful with a little, God will give you more. I believe the only reason I'm a pastor of this church right now is because there was faithfulness when it was small. And he has given me more opportunity to talk to more people about Jesus. The only reason that you're going to have more money ever in your life entrusted to you is if you're trusting God with your money. The only reason you're going to have more influence ever in your life is if you're trusting God with the little influence that you have. The only reason anything is going to happen in your life is when you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and then let him add all those other things to it. That's what's going to happen. Joseph was faithful as a slave. He was faithful in temptation. He was faithful in prison. So now God says, okay, way to go. Now you're the vice president of the world. Now watch this. This story is so great. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger. This is Pharaoh. He's God. He took the signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger and he dressed him in robes of linen. Joseph got a new coat. You got to catch that. He's already lost two coats, remember? 
the multicolored technicolor dream coat and the coat Lady Potiphar ripped off of him and accused him of rape with. And he got a new coat. Jesus said, everyone who has left fathers, mothers, sisters, brothers, family, children, fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and inherit eternal life. And those who are first will be last and the last will be first. That's exactly what happens here. And Pharaoh had him ride in his chariot and he said, as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way. And he put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. So I ask you, how does that happen, friends? How does that happen? How does somebody go from being in prison to the vice president of the world in a half an hour? How does that happen? I'll tell you how it happened. It didn't happen in a half an hour. It didn't happen overnight. It happened over years and years, 13 years of faithfulness with a lousy hand before God gave him a good hand all over again. So, so many great stories. So Egypt has seven good years, seven bad years. Famine spread throughout the whole world. Joseph opened up the storehouses and sold grain to all of the Egyptians, it says, for the famine was severe throughout all of Egypt. Okay? And the other countries came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was universal. It was all around everywhere. And, and what do we find out here? We find out that you are best blessed to be a blessing. What I said last week. The coolest part of this story is that who is Joseph? He is the great-grandson of Abraham. The great-grandson of Abraham. What did, Jesus, what did God tell Abraham last week? I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you, make your name great. You'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who bless you, curse those who curse you, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and through your son, Isaac, and through your grandson, Jacob, and really, really, really through your great-grandson that you don't even know about now, Abraham, who's going to literally save the world, and people are going to be blessed through him. And that... You see how awesome this story is? I could preach on this for three months. There's so much great stuff in here. God using the broken circumstances to help us. Why? So that we can have a good life and everybody's looking at us thinking, life is good for you, man, it must be great. No. God uses our broken circumstances to make life better for us so that we can be a blessing. Pharaoh asked that question one more time. Is there anyone else in whom we can see the Spirit of God. Is there anyone else? Can we find anybody else like this? And that's what I want people to say about you. That's what I want people to say about me. But it only happens when we start living like we believe. In the beginning, God, and God is with me. Now we go on the end of the story. I just, I can't, I gotta skip all the way through it. We get to the end of the story. Joseph was the governor of the land and the one who sold grain to all the people and his brothers ended up coming to him and they didn't recognize him. Okay, why would they recognize him, right? As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but they didn't recognize him because, I mean, they, haven't, they think he's dead. They have no idea he's wearing the Egyptian stuff, but he recognizes them. Really, unbelievable opportunity yet again. To not be faithful to God and to do what he wants to do. Guy was talking about sitting on the couch with his wife one day and she said, she took his glasses off. He was, had his head in her lap and he, she took his glasses off. She said, honey, without your glasses, you still look like the same young man I married. And he looked up and said, honey, without my glasses, you still look pretty good too. <laughs> and that's when the fight started. 
The last time they've seen this guy, he was 17, and now he is the... I mean, they just have no frame of reference for possibly believing that God could have done all the things that God has done so they don't recognize him. Bob Russell said, The temptation to retaliate against his brothers may have been greater than the temptation to sleep with Potiphar's wife. The temptation to say, Hey guys, remember me? I'm back. And you've got the same thing going on in your life. When it comes to forgiveness in your life, when it comes to the people that have hurt you, how should a person live if they believe in the beginning God and God is with you? Long story short, we get over to page 39, and Joseph can't take it anymore. He tests him a little bit through this process. And then he says, okay, guys, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Listen to this. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land, and for the next five, there will be no plowing or reaping. But God has sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on the earth and to save your lives by the great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. That's unbelievable. There's an extraordinary power in your life to be able to look back at all the things that have happened in your life and go, you know what, I see what God was doing there. Again, he attributes everything to God, and I do too. I mean, why would the Midianites have been coming by at that exact moment when they wanted to kill him? Why would they have been heading to Egypt? Why would all of those things happen in the order that they happened so that he could get to the point where he could interpret a dream from Pharaoh? The only way those things can ever happen is if it's from God. And I want you to look at your life. Remember I talked about the blind man a couple of weeks ago, and, and people said, Jesus, who, who, did, who sinned? Was it this guy who sinned or his parents who sinned? And Jesus said, neither one of them. It was just for the glory of God that this is happening, okay? Whatever happened in your life, whether it was good, bad, whatever cards you've been dealt, maybe it came from God. Maybe it's just because we live in a broken world. Maybe it's because other people made bad decisions in your life. But whatever it is, God wants to use those things in your life. And when you look back, you can see them. I just heard an amazing testimony in the back room with the worship people. One of our guys who had suicide in his life. He had family members that committed suicide. And they, he, he, he went, turned it around, and he helped save somebody else from suicide. That's what God wants to have happen. You're going to hear a true testimony at the end of this. This is what God does. God works all things together for good. Doesn't mean he caused them all, but he directs them all. And sometimes he does. And he makes everything good. And until you are willing to say, God, even though you felt silent during this time, even though I didn't know you were there, I'm still going to trust you, it's never going to make any sense. And once again, one final time, in your life, I want you to think from the 30,000 foot view, how should a person like me live if I really believe in the beginning God and God is with me? The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph because his love never fails and never gives up on me. And you know what? The Lord will be with you too. I mean, how do you handle prison? How do you handle slavery if you don't have the Lord? How do you handle anything if you don't have the Lord? If you don't have the Lord, he's waiting right now to come and live inside of you. When we take communion... Jesus said, when you eat this, you're, you're eating a representation of my body and you're drinking a representation of my blood. And there's something about this, this infusion of, the, of God that was supposed to happen in our lives when we take communion. And we're giving you the opportunity to do that right now. Let's pray together.
Get the Lord in you. God, I pray that you'd be with us right now. Jesus, we thank you for your sacrifice. We thank you that um, I know the Lord was with you. I know the Lord was with you through all of your heartache. And it got you through. And your life was not easy either. It was a lot harder than Joseph's. One way or another, we're thankful for the example from the Scripture that even when life is not the way that it ought to be, the way that we want it to be, even when we're not pulling out kings and queens and aces, you're still with us. And then when we get to the end, when we get later on, we're going to be able to look back and see how all of those things helped mold us and shape us and make us ready for the bigger things that you have for us ahead. Lord, if there are people in this room who don't have you, let them in their heart right now just turn to you and say, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Forgive me for my sins. I accept you into my life right now. I'm going to follow you. Show me that you're here. Help me to feel that you are with me. And help me to walk out of here and act like somebody in whom the Spirit of God is dwelling. That's our prayer for all of us. We all have it if we believe in you. But when's the last time somebody said, can we find anybody else in whom is the Spirit of God about us? Lord, be with us as we commune. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.